All right, we'll take your Bible, go to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10. And we're going to come today to what is really one of the most, particularly in the 21st century, one of the most controversial passages in all of Jesus' teaching. Now, now here's the thing. It's, it's not a difficult teaching to understand, but it can be a difficult teaching to swallow. All right? Um, in other words, as we'll see this morning, it's pretty straightforward what, what Jesus says. And uh, like perhaps many of his other teachings, the issue for us then isn't, well, can I really understand what he's saying? But the question is, uh, what, what am I going to do about what he's clearly saying? Am I going to believe him? And I, am I going to obey him or not? And uh, in our passage this morning, we see Jesus being asked a question about divorce. And in response, he, he gives us a picture. Not, he doesn't really answer so much uh, directly answer the question about divorce as, as he's more concerned with going in and talking about marriage. So, so he's kind of asked this negative question, and, and while he answers it, he then turns it positive and goes farther probably than what the uh, Pharisees were, were wanting to hear from him. I don't think it'll come as any surprise to you uh, when I say that our culture is very confused about marriage. Uh, the most recent statistics that, that I found in, in research this week uh, show that the divorce rate is around 39%. Now, the good news is that between 2008 and, 20, and 2016, the divorce rate dropped about 16%. So that means it was at one point over 50%. So the good news is the divorce rate has dropped. However, what, we've also saw, what we also saw in that same amount of time is the marriage rate also dropped. I don't think it'll come as a surprise to you that a large number of couples have decided uh, to just live together long-term rather than marry. And so um, the good news for that is that uh, it means fewer divorces are being recorded. The bad news is that people are, our culture is largely ignoring uh, the biblical pattern for human flourishing within a committed marriage relationship. And so this morning, as we dive into Mark chapter 10, what we're going to see is not just a, a question about divorce and, and the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus in, in this question, but a, a picture of what God's design for marriage is. So that's where we're headed this morning. Now, if you're not a frequent uh, a tender here, and you maybe walked in for the first time this morning, you're like, how, why on earth are you uh, preaching on marriage? Well, because we're walking through Mark's gospel. And so uh, this morning we find ourselves in Mark chapter 10 because I finished chapter 9 last week. And uh, so I don't pick and choose the topics. We, we preach and, and we, we look at what the Bible says and the way the Bible says it. And so that brings us to Mark 10 this morning and this question of divorce and definition of marriage. So let's stand together as we read the word of the Lord this morning, Mark chapter 10. Read verses 1 through 12. Mark writes, He, meaning Jesus, set out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him again, and as was his, cost, as was his custom, he taught them again. 
Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, what did Moses command? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and this morning for what it teaches us about marriage. And so for everyone in this room, whether single, whether married, whatever situation we find ourselves in, I pray you would help us to understand what your design for marriage is. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. So our big idea for the morning is, is really pretty simple, and it's, it's this. Marriage was established by God to illustrate the relationship between Christ and the church. This is the purpose for marriage. So let, let me say from the beginning, um, d- despite some of the definitions of marriage and redefinitions that we've seen in, in recent years, um, I would, I would argue that the state has no right, the government has no right to redefine marriage because they didn't define it in the first place. God created marriage, and as we see in Genesis 1, and we'll look at that in just a moment, uh, God established marriage in the beginning. Therefore, as the creator, God gets to set the rules about what is and is not marriage. Uh, we could have discussions all day long about civil unions and the rights and, and all that. That's, I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in this morning is what does the Bible say about marriage? How does, how does God define it? And what is its purpose? And at its, at its core, marriage is an illustration. The most intimate human relationship that we have illustrates God's relationship with his people. So as we dive into our passage this morning, right off the bat, what we see is a misunderstanding about marriage. And we're told that Jesus set out from there and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Again, remember, he is making his way to Jerusalem where he will ultimately be arrested, crucified, and then resurrected three days later. And as I said the last couple of weeks, everything is pointing now towards the cross and things will escalate between Jesus and the religious rulers as he gets closer. So we are on this journey now to Jerusalem and and literally to the cross. The fact that he crosses into Judea is important because this is an area that was ruled by Herod Antipas. Now, you might recall from uh, last uh, fall or last year when we were walking through this, um, Herod and John the Baptist had already had some run-ins. Herod had, in fact, married his brother's wife, and John the Baptist had um, the guts to call him out, and part of his office is, a, is what we might recognize as, an, as kind of an Old Testament figure in the New Testament, or this, this prophet figure. He, he said, and, and very publicly said, uh, Herod, what you've done is not right. Herod had him arrested and ultimately executed. So 
this is a very real um, situation that, that the Pharisees have seen. And keep in mind, almost every time they come to Jesus, they're not just asking out of their own curiosity. They are trying to trap Jesus because in his teaching, he's created a lot of problems for them because Jesus had this way of saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, you've heard the law taught this way. Now let me tell you what it actually means. And most often that did not line up with what the Pharisees were teaching. And so they were getting questions and, and having these uncomfortable discussions. So they're trying to trap Jesus and something that he says. And they're, they're pretty smart. They're pretty cunning in the way they do it. They'll come up and ask him a question. And uh, they might have people on two sides of an issue. And no matter how Jesus uh, responds, they're expecting to be able to trap him, not realizing that he's the all-knowing, all-powerful son of God and can outwit them at every turn as he does. So he crosses into Judea where there's already been some controversy over marriage and a uh, crowd converged on him, as we've seen many times throughout the Gospels. And as was his custom, he taught them again. And then some Pharisees came to test him. And they just simply asked him this, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, it's important to note here that there were two primary schools of thought about marriage and divorce, okay? You had one school that was very conservative and very strict saying that the only ground for divorce was sexual immorality. No, nothing else was acceptable. Only infidelity would be grounds for divorce. The other school was much more liberal and loose on their interpretation, and they taught that divorce could be granted for, and I quote, any indecency. There are actually reports of wives being divorced because they burnt food, okay? So any indecency wasn't really defined. It was left up for interpretation. So you had these, these two feuding schools of thought, only for infidelity and for basically any reason whatsoever. I don't think I have to tell you which way our culture has gone, right? With the invention of the no-fault divorce, which is full on this more liberal school of thought. Any reason. Wake up one morning, we decide we're not happy, go get a divorce, the end. So Jesus asks them, they come to him, is it lawful for men to divorce his wife? And he replied to them with this question, what did Moses command you? What, in other words, what, what does Scripture say? Puts the ball back in their court. And they said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. Now they quote here Deuteronomy 24.1, which says this, If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. Okay? So that is what they're referencing here. Well, Moses told us that we can, uh, that, that we, we should just write, if a man wants to divorce his wife, he should write her divorce papers and send her away. But verse 5, but Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. Right? So right here, we have this misunderstanding. Now keep in mind, there's probably Pharisees, there's probably folks from two of the different schools of thought here, and, and the, their purpose is to try to catch Jesus no matter how he responds, so that they can, uh, they, they can 
say, well, he's going against the law. Do you see this? We can arrest him now. Instead, he, pushed, he pushes the question back on them. Well, okay, what you tell me. What does the Bible say? And they quote, misquote the Bible. And then Jesus clarifies and says that he wrote this because of the hardness of your hearts. And that gets us into the next section, the meaning of marriage. And this is where Jesus will drill down, not so much on divorce here, but on the purpose of marriage to begin with. He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. Look at verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, what we see in Deuteronomy that that Jesus clarified here when he said that Moses wrote that because of the hardness of your heart, far from commanding divorce, it recognizes that the, the law and Moses recognized the reality of broken relationships in human life. And so, it provides, the, the, the law in Deuteronomy 24 provides a way for an innocent party to be protected. Primarily, in, in the case that's in view there, the wife. The husband becomes displeased with her for whatever reason. Rather than abusing her, rather than neglecting her, Moses made the provision to allow him to write her an official certificate of divorce, give it to her, thereby releasing her from the bonds of marriage. Without, so, so, it, so it allows a protection for the innocent party without condoning divorce. Do you, do you see that there? It's not, it's not presented as a good thing. And Jesus, pointing back to Genesis 1, shows us the purpose for marriage, and that is that it would be a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. The two will become one flesh. But because of the reality of sin, there was a provision to protect, in, particularly in a culture that did not highly value women, where there were not, for, for women that had been abandoned, there were not uh, protections in place in society. Provided her a way to be released from that union and then to be able to marry another for the sake of protection and her own welfare. If this was not God's design, then we see God, Jesus turns his attention to the original design for marriage. And as I said, it goes all the way back to Genesis 1, before the fall. When God made Eve, especially for Adam, Jesus points their attention back to God's purpose. And he also points their attention to something about, something about the mystery of marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. And then he says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. There is a spiritual reality at work here in the union of man and wife. It's more than simply two people deciding the other is nice, and they really want to spend time with them. It's deeper 
than that. And then in verse 9, Jesus commands this, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And that's his answer. Can, what, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus goes into this teaching on marriage and explaining the, the purpose and, of the creation of marriage and why God designed it. Now, as you look throughout the Bible, we'll see example after example after example of marriages that did not work this way. And certainly in our own society, you don't have to look very far to see ways that this has been broken. And yet, we still see that God's design remains. God's purpose for marriage remains. Now at this point, the disciples have questions. In verse 10, or in this, in this last section, then we see the destruction of divorce. So we've seen the, the meaning of marriage. Now we see the destruction of divorce. In verse 10, when they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter. In other words, they're, they're kind of scratching their head and going, hey, Jesus, we heard what you just said to the Pharisees, and um, we have a lot of questions. Now, keep in mind that most of the disciples were young men, perhaps even late, uh, perhaps even older teenagers. And at this point, we, we don't think that many of them, if any of them, were married. And so they heard this teaching about marriage, and they're, they're probably thinking about uh, their future as well. And they go, hey, Jesus, we have questions about what you just said. Verse 11, he said to them, look, look, this is rather pretty simple, right? He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if her, she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, it's important to note that while Mark doesn't record this, in Matthew's account of this same teaching, he does give a qualifier and says, uh, whoever divorces his wife except in the case of marital unfaithfulness. So Matthew expands that out just a bit and, and provides uh, a qualifier, provides a little bit more context. But what we see here, in, in light of what Jesus just taught, that the two will become one flesh, what, what happens then when, when, when there's a divorce is, is there is a destruction of that union. And while God's purpose is that what he has joined together, no one would separate, there is a destruction of that union in divorce. Don't have to look very far. And in fact, I'm willing to bet that no one in, our, in the room today, no one watching online, has been free of seeing the destruction of divorce, either in your own life or in the lives of someone that you know, someone perhaps that's close to you. Now the question is, so then what is, and, and like, like the disciples, maybe you're asking, well then what's an acceptable reason for divorce? Well, I, I think that's the wrong question. And I think there's a reason that Jesus goes into talking more about marriage than he does about divorce here in this in this passage and illustrating more about the purpose of marriage because the question should not be, when is it okay to get divorced? The, the question should be, 
what can we do to keep a marriage together? Anytime I have a couple who comes in and, uh, for, for marital counseling, if, and, and quite, quite frankly, in my experience, most of the time, uh, by the time a couple winds up in my office, um, things, are, things are too far gone in, in, my, in my experience. Not, not every case, but in most cases, by the time they've come to me, they, they've already made up their minds. And um, I don't know if they're looking for a pastoral blessing or what exactly, but um, anytime I've, I've counseled a couple on the verge of divorce, one of the things that I've told them is as long as divorce is an option, that's the only way this is going to end. If, you, if you're heading into this thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, we can get out of this, that, that is how it's going to end. Because anyone who's been married longer than uh, probably two weeks will tell you, you, you get fed up with the person that you're married to. Because you know what? That, that, that cute little girl or that great guy that you fell in love with, they're dirty, rotten sinners. And so are you. And, and in this most intimate relationship that we have, where you spend more time one-on-one with this one person, do you know what comes out? Your sinfulness. And believe it or not, the longer you're together, you're going to keep on being sinners. But also we get to keep growing in grace together. And deepening in love. And so while in Scripture we see that divorce is permissible, in certain cases it does not mean that divorce is ever preferable. We get to this hard teaching in verses 11 and 12, and you're, you're no doubt wondering, especially for, for those who are maybe have experienced divorce and, and remarriage in, in, in the room or online, and we get to verse 11 and 12. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And so it's possible and likely we have some in the room that have been divorced and, and remarried. You may read that and say, now wait just a second. Well, what does that mean for me? Does that mean that my relationship was sinful? Well, no, but, but what we are saying is that, that there was sin that led to that. Sin led to a divorce. And so I don't think that Jesus would tell you to divorce your current spouse. Rather, I think what he would say is to be faithful to the spouse that you have right now because none of us can change what we did yesterday or last year or 10 years ago. What we can do is commit to following Christ closely now and moving forward. And so if that's you, if you find yourself divorced and, and remarried today, I would exhort you to Honor God in your marriage right now. Maybe there's some things you need to repent for that, that you've never laid out in, in front of Almighty God and some sin that you need to deal with in your own life. I would say do that and then commit this marriage that you have right now to the Lord, whether it's your first one or if you find yourself in here today on the fifth one. Commit to make this one the one that sticks in the sight of the Lord. If you're a couple here and you're experiencing some trials and 
you, you think the divorce is an option and you're, you're leaving that door open, I would encourage you to slam it shut and screw it in. Don't, don't, don't allow that to be an option. Because what we see is that marriage was established by God to illustrate the relationship between Christ and his church. Divorce is a breaking of that covenant. It's a breaking of that illustration, a breaking of that picture. And as each of us here today is aware of, Christ never abandons us. In fact, I would, I would encourage you to go back if it's been a while and read through the story of Hosea in the Old Testament prophet who was called to go and marry a woman who was unfaithful to him multiple times. And Hosea was called to do that to illustrate to God's people the amazing love that God has for them. His unending faithfulness to them even when they've been unfaithful to him. Understand, that's the picture of marriage. That no matter what happens, no matter what the other person does, we're called to love them the way Christ loved us. Now, specifically in Paul's writings, that command's given to the husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. But that kind of love is reciprocal in a marriage relationship. So we see that God's purpose for marriage is really pretty simple. It's one man and one woman for one lifetime. Now sin has distorted and destroyed that purpose like everything else in, in our world. Sin has damaged it. But as believers, we're called to hold on to God's purpose no matter what the culture around us may say or do. And I would say this, if you really, if you really want to live counterculture, love your spouse well, be faithful to them, raise your children in the faith, be present in church with your family, that is radically countercultural today. I'll close with these words out of Hebrews 13.4. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled. So husbands, be faithful to your wife. Wives, be faithful to your husbands. Model godly, healthy marriages for your children, for your neighbors, for the world around us. Because in so doing, we proclaim Christ's relationship to his church. That he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, and I thank you for this passage on marriage. And yes, it's a hard teaching. That There's some things that particularly in a 21st century culture can rub us the wrong way. And so I pray that as we, your people, hear these words, we would not bristle, but we would submit. Realizing that your plans are always better than our own. where we fall short in so many things and where, where we fail to live up to the ideal picture of marriage that you have given to us, we pray for forgiveness. We pray we would be people who would be quick to repent, quick to ask for forgiveness of our spouses, 
quick to offer forgiveness when we've been sinned against. And that through the mystery of marriage, of two becoming one flesh, you would shape us and mold us into the image of Christ. We ask all these things in his mighty name. Amen.